Welcome, everybody, to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where I, your rabbi, reveal how the world really works. Thanks for being part of the show, and as always, I thank you for the diligent work you have been doing in promoting the show, telling other people about it. You tell one person this week, and in a few weeks' time, you remember to tell somebody else, little by little, uh, our little community of like-minded, happy warriors grows and grows to the point where I think we really ought to start thinking of holding a real-life get-together one of these days, uh, either in Florida or in Texas. Uh, or anywhere where the authoritarian powers are uh, a little more reasonable. That's as far as United States-based happy warriors go. Uh, We really ought to do that, and uh, naturally, uh, we should actually take a look at the map. You know, whenever somebody writes to me and tells me where they listen to the show from, where they're located— A pin goes into the world map, and from the concentration of the pins, we can tell uh, where we have large numbers of listeners. And and so, yes, we've got large numbers of listeners in Canada and the United States, Australia. We have very large numbers of listeners on the continent of Africa. We have large numbers of listeners in India and um and in 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 a few other places but uh, those are where there's sort of heavy large concentrations so how about a happy warriors get together in ghana or south africa or how about a happy warriors get together in uh, bangladesh in uh, not <laughs> in bangalore province in india um these are uh, fantasy ideas that swirl around my mind when I get up in the morning, but uh, probably easiest to do initially in the United States. Yeah, our numbers are such that uh, we probably could enjoy a get-together. I'm recording this show, although, as you know, I seldom tell you when I'm doing the show because, as much as possible, I like the shows to be uh, useful to you today, tomorrow, or next year. It doesn't matter. That's why we're not talking a lot about contemporary politics uh, but for the most part, about the uh, things that never change. Because as I always tell you, the more that things change, the more we need to depend on those things that never change. And the principles that guide how the world really works, um, those are not principles that change in any way whatsoever. But at any rate, I am recording it a week before Christmas at the end of 2021, and uh, that means it is already time for me to wish my listeners a very joyous and uplifting Christmas. Uh, I think it's really important to acknowledge Christmas as a, a reality, particularly in the United States, because part of the challenge of secular fundamentalism has been that uh, the devotees and advocates and guerrillas of secular fundamentalism do everything they can to obliterate all expressions of particularly Christian faith, but all Judeo-Christian faith, from the public square. And the reason they do that is because 
they recognize, all secularists recognize, that uh, the Bible and Judeo-Christian faith lies at the foundation of Western civilization, and their hatred for the achievements of Western civilization are such that, as uh, Karl Marx laid out very clearly at the beginning of his books, uh, the uh, you can't rebuild something if you don't first destroy what's there. And so, obviously, the, the destruction of the artifacts of Western culture precede the goal of rebuilding a socialist paradise. And what lies at the heart, uh, what provides the fuel that propels Western civilization is, of course, Judeo-Christian thinking and biblical values. <laughs> you know, whenever I say that, I know that there is some a cretin somewhere who say, oh, I suppose he thinks that fathers selling their daughters into slavery is a good Judeo-Christian value, or uh, executing idolaters. Oh, yeah, let's go back to Judeo. All right, look, <laughs> today isn't the day. I've, I've covered it on previous shows, uh, why that is so um, incredibly stupid, that people who say it are really exceeding one another's ability in parading their own um, moronic thinking uh, for all the world to see. Um, that obviously is not the core of what Judeo-Christian biblical values are. Uh, but I'll give you some clues to that uh, very shortly. But uh, for now, um, I cannot help uh, being entertained by a recent issue from Science Magazine. So uh, when I say recently, a little while ago, I don't, I don't have the exact date in front of me, but, you know, certainly, obviously, it's co the article is COVID-related, so it's recent. And uh, the article um, queries something very strange, and that is um, that the COVID damn panic, I mean, I mean pandemic, uh, the COVID pandemic um seems to have a very low death rate in Africa. There's a lot of infection, a lot of people catch it, but the the death rate, I think, is lower than anywhere else in the world. Sub-Saharan Africa, almost, uh, it's negligible. Statistically, it's not even on the chart. So why is it that uh, the death rate in sophisticated countries like Canada, United States, United Kingdom, Australia, New Zealand, where they've gone all out on the vaccinations, the death rate is far higher than in um, Zimbabwe and South Africa and uh, Kenya and many, many other countries uh, in Southern Africa that do not have the same death rate. Okay, now I... I'm guessing that regular listeners to the show already know the answer. You're laughing the same as I am. But uh, what's what's really funny is that Science Magazine um, is a little bit like, uh, you know, it's, it's like there's an elephant in the room and everybody's looking around pretending not to see it. I'm sure you've been in meetings or family gatherings like that sometimes where by sort of tacit consent, everyone in the room has agreed to pretend that the elephant isn't there, that, it, you know, they've all agreed not to talk about a certain thing or not to bring up a certain topic. It happens all the time. Well, that's what's so hilarious about this article from Science Magazine. Um, clearly, 
Clearly, it is determined now to bring up the obvious explanation for why death rates in Southern Africa are so low. Um, so, uh, I mean, the number of death rates in Africa, the number of COVID deaths, even, by the way, with an extremely broad-minded uh, interpretation of COVID death, in other words, people who fall off a cliff in whose bodies at post-mortem is found COVID infection are ruled to have died of COVID. You think I'm joking, but it's absolutely true that that is the rule. And um, and they have their reasons for that, by the way. You know, well, that way we know exactly we have a number. And yes, there are a few uh, crazy exceptions, like the motorcycle accident victim who died of con you know of head injuries, but who's listed as a COVID death. But overall, it gives us an idea. Well, not really, but uh, that's what they say. And so uh, um, they are uh, tr trying to find out. I'm looking at a study from Malawi. Uh, and um, uh, Mozambique. <laughs> it's so interesting. Wherever, where, whatever Kenya, whatever country you go, Nigeria, um, they, uh, uh, they. Oh, so anyway, Science Magazine is now saying, what could this be due to? And um, and they are struggling to come up with it. Well, maybe the reporting isn't accurate. You know, reporting is inaccurate on a lot of things, but if there's one thing the world is completely, insanely obsessive about, it's COVID statistics. I think it's reported accurately. Uh, and so, um, yeah, oh, I see. Here's more, some reports from Guinea, Senegal, Benin, Ghana, Cameroon, Congo. Uh, it's amazing. Amazing. The, the COVID deaths are like statistically not there. Um, so, um, and by the way, the, uh, vaccinations is lower than anywhere where else. So they come up with all kinds of explanations and I'm not going to waste time on them, on them now, but I, I certainly didn't find any of them persuasive. As I said, there's one huge, big explanation sitting right there. And I totally understand why they don't talk about it. It's so funny as much as anything can be funny when people are ill and many people are dying. But it is funny. You know what it is? And I'm sure many of you already know the answer. What medication has been widely distributed in Africa for decades already on an ongoing basis? So much so, by the way, that uh, when I traveled to Ghana uh, a little while ago, two or three years ago, uh, I was dosed up with this medication before departure and uh in when you arrive in ghana they even ask they want to make sure hey have you taken your tablets this is throughout sub-saharan africa for years and years decades already the population they pop these tablets like americans pop uh, i was gonna say uh oxycodone but i better say aspirin so um what is it <laughs> it's very simple there are anti-malarial drugs called hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. And these are two of the drugs that Africa has been consuming on a regular basis, Africans all the time. Well, guess what, folks? It appears to keep COVID deaths away. That's what it does. And uh, that's what President Trump actually said, and he was right. But of course, um, uh, 
and Mr. Fauci in the United States and the uh, authorities in many other countries in Europe, in the United Kingdom, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, uh, are so completely uh, committed to the vaccine um, discipline that that is the only way they acknowledge and information on on um, on hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin is suppressed it's very difficult to get patients in hospitals have had to sue in the united states have had to go to court in order to allow their own family doctor to administer uh, these drugs which my goodness do you need any more proof than the entire continent of africa that hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin keep uh, covid deaths down well it's as i say it's sadly humorous to watch the editors at Science Magazine uh, pretend that those words do not exist. And so that, that is uh, what's going on there. Again, you know, as happy warriors, all I can say is that it is important that you keep your eyes open and you keep your ears open and, and that you try and analyze things with an understanding of how the world really works. You've already heard me tell you so many times, please flee, flee, run, don't walk, run for your intellectual freedom and for your happy warrior uh, state of mind. When you hear experts quoted, run like the wind. Uh, when you hear studies reveal, run like the wind. And so, uh, uh, just use your own intelligence. The good Lord gave you understanding and knowledge, and it's there for you to use. And, um, and you know, this very often the simplest explanation is the place to start. It may not always be the final explanation, but if there's an entire article in a science journal probing why are the deaths from COVID so low in Africa, is it really being honest to utterly ignore the elephant? Is it truly being honest for the word hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, these two drugs, not to be mentioned once in the whole article? No, that means somebody's trying to avoid it. And, uh, and why some of this insanity? I'm not going to go in depth into this today, perhaps another time. But uh, follow the money is generally a pretty good analytical technique see who benefits from this and um, and the full details of the way that payments have been made and are being made from the uh, vaccine manufacturers to politicians in the United States and in Israel and in perhaps other countries as well in which I'm a little less informed uh, but I have no doubt that is there. Follow the money. Yes. And this is one of the reasons that um, they have now ruled that the full information, behind the scenes information on the development and deployment of the vaccine uh, for COVID vaccines has been locked for 50 years. And so not until late 2070s in the in 50 years time will the full information come out including the money trail how so many different organizations and politicians will be benefiting from the niagara like cascade of cash that has been flowing from government 
into private hands and then back into government uh, through the vaccine wealth transfer going on. So um, please um, remember you heard it here first, right? There's, there's no question about it. There, there can be no simpler and more obvious explanation for why politicians in so many countries are vehemently hostile to the point of allowing people to die rather than let them um, have ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine where uh, doses that'll save people's lives cost pennies, not, do- not, de- not tens of dollars, $20, $40 for the vaccine, and then a booster shot and another booster shot. And then we're told, well, there may be no end to the boosters. We may need, bo- yeah, I bet. Because every time a booster is taken, another $25 is transferred from the public purse to the private. And from there, just remember, it goes back to those that make these decisions. And um, look, it's, uh, you might say, well, that's you know, rather uh, a skeptical and uh, inhospitable uh, way of looking at things, right? But I don't promise to be friendly, compassionate, um, and non-skeptical on this show. I I commit to telling you how the world really works. And when that way the world really works is sometimes a li- falls a little short of what we'd like to see, we are happy warriors. We do not close our eyes. And last week's show uh, was all about masculinity. Now, I think very often women tend to be much more realistic than men to the extent the generalization is true. Uh, Men can more easily fall into this trap of not being masculine enough. It's very easy. And uh, part of what that means is, you know, not confronting the truth, wanting to avoid confrontation altogether. We covered that in last week's show, and I've I've had a, a very large response from listeners, mostly men listeners, uh, speaking about how much last week has helped them. Uh, many men have said, "I'm, you know, I was shocked to realize you were describing me. I never thought of myself in that way." But uh, but yes, I'm afraid that I do find that I uh, manifest all the symptoms you describe of lost masculinity. So that's what we were talking of then. And as far as this week is concerned and every future week, um, for men listening, it is important to be able to face the truth, even when it is unpleasant, even when every instinct in you is shrieking to be left alone and to pull the covers over your head and be allowed to crawl back into the cave and just ignore everything that's going on. A man doesn't do that because others depend upon him to be alert to approaching dangers and whether those dangers are coming to threaten your family or your finances, maybe they're coming to threaten your faith, maybe they're coming to threaten your social environment, your friends, uh, or maybe they're coming to impact your health, or maybe all of the above, as secular fundamentalism tends to do. Um, the uh, the masculine man, the real happy warrior, is prepared for it. The women happy warriors seem to be more innately Uh, able to see this and understand it and to cope with it. Uh, I wonder if it comes, I'm just speculating idly here, but um, uh, I I wonder whether the process of childbirth 
profoundly changes a woman. It, I mean, childbirth changes a woman more than marriage does. And it's possible that one of the ways it changes women, I'm speculating, as I say, at the moment I haven't researched this or looked into it, uh, but maybe one of the ways is that women who've given birth and brought life into the world uh, are just more real and, and more capable of facing reality. Uh, you know, when, when you're expecting a baby and you're two months pregnant, you say, okay, in seven months' time, I'm actually going to give birth. That's called facing reality. Now, very often, their husbands are pulling the blankets over their heads, and they're not even, they're not even admitting into their minds the complexities and the details of that far-off day, seven months down the road, where a screaming bundle of protoplasm is going to be put in their arms, and they are going to realize that in that instant— They've suddenly been magically transformed from merely a man into a father. That changes everything. But uh, they don't always know that, do they? Now, as I said that last week, your rabbi, that would be me, uh, I was speaking about masculinity. And so that would have been one of the five Fs, the, the F of family, right? Because... Um, a man who is um, suffering from a, uh, an, an attack on his masculinity and his, his backed off. And I, I covered last week some of the reasons and how that comes about, that we men uh, have this tendency. Uh, far more, far more than women lose femininity, men can lose masculinity. And again, I have touched in the past on why that is. But um, And so, again, if, if you're interested and confused about any of this, I strongly recommend going back to uh, long-ago episodes of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, wherever you listen to podcasts and, uh, and follow up on all of that, because I, I don't want to repeat things that we've covered extensively, because I know there are so many of you that are meticulous about uh, covering and learning from every single show that uh, is released. And so... Uh, suffice it to say that last week, there we were doing masculinity, and obviously uh, a man who suffers, who is not um, fully masculine, and by the way, it goes without saying that uh, I wasn't talking only in terms of physical performance or anything like that. No, uh, that is one of the uh, symptoms of a generalized loss of masculinity, but I'm speaking about uh, spiritual as much as physical. I'm speaking about uh, mental and uh, and uh, psychological as much as biological um, loss of masculinity is manifested not only in certain parts of the home but in overall ability of a man to function as a husband and as a father even the ability to adequately and appropriately keep children disciplined and educated and growing, that in itself is masculine nurturing that not every man is comfortable doing. However, the good news is it's eminently repairable. And that's what we spoke about last week. So last week was the F of family. This week we go uh, back to the F of finances. And the the fact is that uh, that I'll, before the end of the year, I'll do a show on uh, what I think we we have looking ahead in 2022. But uh, it's clear, obviously, that if I were giving predictions for 2022, uh, one of them would be the fact that prices are continuing to go up. We have inflation. 
uh, we have inflation because inflation is the consequence of immorality in the ruling class. And again, something I have covered extensively in previous shows, please go back, uh, where I explain why it is that uh, an immoral government fails to coin new currency exclusively and only when wealth has been generated in the populace by people serving one another. And I know this is putting it not in terms that will be approved of by your local kindergarten where the economics professor teaching Econ 101 um, won't tell you anything like this about inflation. And, uh, and they truly believe that inflation can be solved by minute and delicate adjustments of the money supply. Oh, we just have to change the interest rate and we just adjust this and we'll be able to keep inflation under control. Wrong, not true. And um, there's another thing they're fond of saying, which a low rate of inflation is good for everybody. You know, 1%, 2% inflation, that's no, wrong. Zero inflation is what is good. The only reason they say that, when I say that, I'm talking about usually government economists. The reason they say it is because they've proven virtually incapable of the moral prestige necessary in order to keep inflation at a zero figure. It's not hard. You just have to not want to spend other people's money. <laughs> That's all. You just got to be willing to not go into debt. You just got to be willing to not spend more than the population is giving you in taxes. That's all you got to do. And inflation will be zero and everybody's better off. But right now, I'm sorry to say that in, in countries where inflation is growing as rapidly as it is in the United States of America, if you have a way of borrowing money at a low interest rate and the money can be used not for consumer purposes, not for buying a, a new toy, uh, but for business purposes to be employed as business capital, go for it. I mean, don't hesitate. And surely a time of inflation is not a time to hold cash. You've got to be very careful what you do with your cash because its value is being eroded significantly, uh, perhaps one half to one percent a month. So that's very serious, right? Because if you've got a thousand dollars in savings and it's sitting in a savings account that's paying you, you know, 0.3 percent interest, virtually, uh, you know, negligible. And uh, well, it's very possible that 10 to 15 dollars of that is vanishing into thin air every single month. So what do you do? Well, one of the things that it's worthwhile bearing in mind is that uh, this is a good time to start a business. It's also a good time to purchase a business, by the way. Again, being smart, getting good advice and good guidance from a good business broker. But um, rather than just sitting on cash, other than your emergency fund, right? Every, everybody should have a few months at least of living expenses tucked away in an easily accessible um, place, somewhere where, where you can get hold of it, as opposed to a certificate of deposit that might be, you know, months of waiting before you can get the money without major penalty. So, uh, uh, but having uh, a business is a good thing to have in inflationary times. And so, um, what do you what do you do? How do you go about doing that? Uh, you might say, "Well, you know, I'm you know, I'm I'm not I have no experience in business." Well, that's true, but maybe you have a lot of experience in 
um, tying fishing flies. You know, maybe you 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 maybe you've got decades of experience as as a fly fisherman. Uh, or, or maybe you cast your own bullets. Maybe you're a hobbyist and you've got a workshop in your basement where you make you you do reloads, right? Which is, I mean, with the rising cost of ammunition, uh, and you do any shooting, being able to do re- you know whatever it is. If there are certain things that you are able to do that would be useful to other people, you really should think about turning it into a business. Well, how do you do that? You, you know, you you got a job. You got you got to keep. It's not as if you can just quit your job, and rightly so. No, um, how do you do it? Well, I want to introduce you to another little piece of ancient Jewish wisdom. I've spoken before extensively on why it is that Jews are disproportionately good with money. And in my book, Thou Shall Prosper, which continues to sell as well as it deserves, which is, thank God, very, very well indeed, uh, um, uh, I explain how I debunk the four mythological explanations for why the people of Israel have always, in every place and time, been identified and recognized as being disproportionately good with money. And uh, I've explained that it's none of those explanations, but the real explanation is a very significant accumulation of wisdom, Bible-based wisdom, that uh, is deployed. And I'm not talking about simple little slogans from the book of Proverbs, because unfortunately, for every slogan that tells you one thing, there's another one that tells you something else. You know, there's there are verses that tell you how good it is to live on nothing but bread and water and be very frugal. And then there are other verses that, that praise having wealth. They, they, they seem to just counter each other out, as slogans do in English, right? You have it all the time, where somebody says to a soldier going on deployment and he's worried about what his girlfriend will be up to in his absence and he's maybe they should get married he doesn't know what to do and uh, his pal pats him on the shoulder and says don't worry absence makes the heart grow fonder you know if you're away on the six-month deployment when you come back she'll love you even more and then he's just about starting to feel more comfortable and more secure when another buddy taps him on the shoulder and says i see you've leaving your girlfriend behind well i guess out of sight out of mind and he feels awful again. Yet simple slogans are not the way that wealth is created. It is a large, very large, comprehensive and well-integrated body of data, uh, which is very difficult. It takes a good deal of specialized knowledge to condense it down to the tips and the tools and the techniques that can be found in my book, Business, Se- Business Secrets from the Bible, and that I talk about right here on the show. And uh, one of them um, is I'm about to tell you what to do in this situation where, yes, you actually, you think about it. Hey, I actually do have a skill or an ability. I just don't know how to turn it into a business. Okay, well, the key to this is uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And uh, God said it's not good for man to be alone. Now, on my website at www.rabbidaniellappin.com, you will find my recommended Bible. And I do not believe that anybody should not have a reference Bible in his possession. I I can't understand. I mean, a household that doesn't have a Bible, (laughs) I mean, barbarians, honestly, it's literally barbaric for a civilized human being 
uh, not to possess a bond. It's ridiculous. I've never heard of such a thing. Um, and so, well, I have, unfortunately. But at any rate, uh, I have a recommended Bible uh, for on, on the website if you don't have one yet. And there are a lot of reasons why this is a terrific Bible. But if you have it, on page 7, you will find the words, and God said, not good for man to be alone. Now, a lot of mistaken people assume that this just, again, people who don't have a Bible that they can refer to, uh, think this means, well, you know, Adam was supposed to get married and God wants to create Eve. That is a specific focused application of the principle. The general principle is far wider. And uh, to just give you the essence of it right now, it's, it's very simply this. You need a partner. That's right. You need Your immediate job now is to seek a partner. Maybe it's somebody who's uh, doing an accounting degree at the local community college. Uh, maybe maybe it's, it can be anybody, but what you're looking for is somebody who is the mirror image of you, somebody who knows business but can't think what, what to provide. And you've got to find that person. I promise you that somewhere in your orbit, you may not know that person yet, but he or she exists. And that person will be as grateful to find you as you will be to find them. And one of you becomes the person who makes the object, the f you, you tie the fishing flies or whatever it is that it's going to be, and the other person understands how to uh, find necessary capital, how to market, uh, how to uh, keep the books and keep everything legal and compliant. And the two of you together have formed a business. So please don't underestimate the significance of that verse, verse 18 on page 7 of my Bible, where it says, not good for man to be alone. Don't underestimate how powerfully significant that has been for Jews throughout history and in every place on earth, uh, because the secret of partnership is immensely powerful. Uh, I do a, a seminar very frequently for people, and uh, it's called Partnership Power. And that's exactly what this is all about. It's, it's hugely valuable and, and very, very effective. So just realize that a whole new world of creativity can open up to you through collaboration. Not good for man to be alone. Yeah, that's why you can't get a business off the ground, because you just don't know what the next step should be. And you've got somebody whom you haven't met yet who's sitting there being tormented by exactly the same thoughts. I know how to get a business off the ground. I'd be so good at running a business. I just don't know what to do. I'm not good at anything else. Well, he needs you and you need him. And hey, presto, a partnership is born and creativity is the inevitable result. So, uh, one more tip on the uh, F of finances is um, the idea of starting off right away, no matter how old you are or how young you are, a really important part of the secret of success in business is always saying less than you do, or in other words, doing more than you promise. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's very difficult, but it's also very important. Uh, back to my Bible page 509 and uh, verse 3 says this is uh, the book of numbers chapter 30 verse 3 listen to this if a man vow a vow to the lord or swear an oath 
that binds himself, uh, he should not break his word. Like everything that came out of his mouth, he should do. This is really important. What this says is that, uh, that you should regard speech as holy and that every word that comes out of your mouth is important. It stands for something. And what's more, it binds you. And uh, every time you relate meaningfully to what comes out of your mouth, you become a better, happy warrior. You become a more effective human being, a more powerful human being, man or woman. And, uh, and, and that's what that verse teaches. And then everything is consistent with that in, in a very beautiful way, you know. Um, for instance, there is a, uh, a well-known story. Again, I'll give you a page number, page 45 in Rabbi Daniel Lappin's Recommended Bible. Page 45, uh, you find the beautiful story in chapter 18 of Genesis of the three angels coming to visit Abraham. Abraham's not feeling well, and uh, the angels stop by. Abraham doesn't know they're angels. He assumes they're people, and he invites them in. He he likes people to come in, and by the way, this was part of how Abraham operated his ministry. Um, He brought people to uh, monotheism by inviting them into his house, and here's what he said. Uh, Come in, rest up, use my restroom, and uh, sit down. And I'll go get some bread and um, and get you something to uh, to drink, and you'll feel better. So, what does he undertake to do? He's, he undertakes to give them some bread and water, and he knows you know any passing traveler will be happy to have somewhere to sit and be able to use a restroom and be able to get some f- uh, bread and water. But what does he actually do? He rushes to Sarah and he says, "Quickly, let's bake some fine bread." And then he goes and slaughters a uh, some beef, and um, and uh, he he gets hold of butter and milk, and uh, and the 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 meat that he's prepared. These people expected bread and water because that's what Abraham undertook. What did they get? A veritable feast they got. It was incredible, uh, a real feast. You know, again, beautiful that is. It really is beautiful. Um, then we've got um, the the great story of uh, where uh, Abraham's servant Eliezer is sent to find a wife for Rebekah. And so Isaac's future wife, Rebekah, says to the servant, says to Eliezer, uh, she says, sure. Um, she He asks for a drink. She takes the pitcher down from her shoulder and gives him as much water as he wants to drink. And then when she done that, she says, I'm also going to get water for your camels until they've drunk their fill. Why didn't she say it at the outset? Why didn't she say, hey, have a drink and I'll water your... Because she wanted to make sure she could deliver. So she first of all um, offers him a drink. When that works out fine, she now says, okay, now I'll take care of the camels. Always being careful to follow this rule of say less and deliver more. This is a crucial tool in the arsenal of business success that have been practiced by the people of Israel for centuries and centuries. And it's something that you can do too. So you can see that um, beautifully what we find is a consistency everywhere that every story I look at. And sure enough, the same principle of saying less and doing more is uh, is brought to the fore. And um, 
Also, on the opposite, there was a guy called Ephron, and uh, he said to when Abraham was looking to buy a field to start a cemetery in which he could uh, bury Sarah, uh, page 61 in my recommended Bible at rabbidaniellappin.com. How do you like the way I slipped that little commercial in there without you even noticing? And um, in uh, Genesis chapter 23, he uh, speaks to Ephron about the fact he wants a field. And uh, Ephron says, oh, um, I'll give you, you know, please, you, I didn't know you want a field with the greatest of pleasure. And he says, um, I give it to you. No problem, Abraham, you may have the field as a gift. Verse 11, I give you the field and the cave that's in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Go ahead and set up your cemetery. And uh, Abraham says, no, I'd really like to buy it. You know, tell me the price. And he says, well, and this is in a sort of a very passive-aggressive kind of a way. He wants the money, but he doesn't want to say it after he said you can have it for free. So he says, uh, you know, what, you know, field that's worth 400 shekels of silver, you know, who cares? What's that mean? Well, that was a huge amount of money. And Abraham correctly interpreted that as Ephron basically telling him the price that he wanted. And so sure enough, Abraham paid 400 shekels of silver for the field. Ephron promised much, namely, hey, have it as a gift but gave little in the end. And so, uh, friends, please do think seriously. If you are in a position in any way whatsoever where you should be thinking about a second stream of income, another revenue stream, maybe maybe it's a first revenue stream, maybe, maybe you're in a bad position, you don't have a revenue stream yet, um, please, I strongly urge you, and, and if you are by any chance contemplating going to a kindergarten to get a degree in uh, gender studies or a degree in uh, race in medieval French literature, uh, I strongly urge you to forget those silly ideas and do something useful, namely start a business by two things today. Number one, find a partner. Find a partner who has the skills you lack, somebody who's different from you, and set up a partnership on paper, documented, agreement you both sign and number two keep your word number two promise less than you deliver and your reputation will spread so rapidly you will have customers you will have clients you will have uh, the ability to really build your business so with all of those um, i really think that you have something valuable to move forward with I want to wish you again a joyous and uplifting Christmas. It, it is a lovely time of the year, and I hope that you are blessed to be able to spend it with very good friends and loving family. Until next week, I am your rabbi. That's me, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, wishing you a week of moving onwards and upwards in your family, in your finances, in your faith, in your friendships, and in your physical fitness, moving onwards and upwards, improving each and every one of those things every day of the coming week until we are together again just before Christmas. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin, your rabbi. God bless you.